Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. This morning's scripture comes from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Hear these words. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I'm going to ask for some public confession today, which I know is everybody's favorite part of church. Um, and I ask you to out yourself. Um, I want you to raise your hand if you have ever started a sentence with the expression, well, with my luck. Right? So, yeah, we made reservations for Mother's Day brunch. We're going right after church, but with my luck, we'll probably get there and they, you know, they cancel the reservation. Or, you know, name your ex- expression. Or perhaps, you know, you're in the kitchen and you drop a dish and it breaks. You know, like, you know what? It figures. Raise your hand. Right? What I'm really asking is, how many of you have decided to just accept defeat in life? <laughs> How many of you have just decided you're going to live with lower enough expectations, with low enough expectations, so that you're not too disappointed when the inevitable happens? Let me tell you a story about, um, so we have a uh, co-ed Creekwood adult soccer team, and um, over the course of our um, seven seasons of, well, seven years of playing together, multiple seasons within those years, over the course of those, um, our record probably stands somewhere around 4 and 35 or something like that. Um, you know, we're not fantastic. Um, and, and this, so last, so uh, the, the season we played in the fall of 2021 um, turned out to be something remarkable. But of course, you know, as we played the first game, we went in and we actually had some bright spirits because those four games that we won all came in the spring of 2020 season. And so um, we, were, we were entering in on a high note. We thought we had some momentum. And uh, so we went into the first game. And if I, my memory serves me right, we lost about five to nothing. So we thought, that's all right, it's just a fluke, we'll get them next time. I think Ethan Carver got a red card in that game, got thrown out. Um, so the second game, we come back in, and we kind of have some high spirits about us. We played okay, even though we lost five to nothing. I think the next game we lost like six to two. 
or something like that. And the season just progressed that every game we played, we lost all season long. We lost every single game we played, and we didn't just lose every single game we played. We usually got outscored by an average of three goals every single game, if not higher. And if you talk to my wife, she will tell you that as much fun as I have when I get out there, as much as I like the people that we play with, every game, every Thursday, I would just be like, you know what, I really don't want to go play today. And I love playing soccer. It's one of the things that brings me a lot of joy in life, and I love playing, but I would just, every day, I would make excuses of, you know what, we're just really busy, I need to help you around the house, or, you know what, I've got a busy Friday, it's my day off, I'm not doing anything, but I'm going to be tired on Friday, so I need to rest up on Thursday night. Um, There were just so many reasons why I didn't want to go, and mainly it was because my expectations had just gotten so low. I assumed when I got out of the car and laced up my boots that we were going to lose. And I had history on my side that we were probably going to lose. We didn't win a game this season either. But something happened. In the fall of 2021, there were only three teams in the league. Now, the league is set up to where four teams make the playoffs. So we finished third place. And so, hold on, it gets better. So I get out of the car, and I had made so many, I mean, just with our luck, there's no way we are going to beat this team. They've beaten us four times already this season. So we get out of the car, get with my friends who were playing, lace up our boots, get the ball out, start warming up. Well, sure enough, they give up a penalty kick about 20 minutes in. And we sent up one of our girls, and when a girl scores, she gets, you know, it counts for two. And so we sent up one of our girls who just puts it right in the bottom corner. And so we're up two to nothing. And we decide, you know what? We're not even going to attack anymore. We're just going to park the bus. <laughs> so we put all 11 players on defense, essentially. And sure enough, we win the game. And the other team is as dumbfounded as we are. <laughs> there is no way that we just beat them. And so we're just ecstatic. And then the reward for winning that game is that we get to play the first place team immediately afterward. So we just played a whole soccer game. We're going into playing the first place team. Well, sure enough, they get up, you know, one to nothing pretty early on on kind of a flute goal, though. And, and you know, of course, our mindset, it figures, right? We're going to lose. It's just the way it's going to work out. But, you know, somewhere toward the end of the game, we had this striker who forward who was really, really good. And um, he happened to, you know, kind of someone booted the ball. He went and chased it down. He weaved in and out of three players, and he scored this goal from like 25 yards out. It was this miraculous goal. All of a sudden, we're tied, and the game's about done. And we go into overtime, and we just, you know, do our best to not die during overtime. And we make it into a penalty kick shootout. If you don't know about penalty kick shootouts, you, you line up your five versus their five, and everybody gets a kick, and, and whoever gets the most goals out of those five wins the penalty kick shootout. Well, Sure enough, their first player comes up, hits it way over the bar. Our first player comes up, shoots it in. And it just progressed that way. To we, we won four to two on penalty kicks. So a team that had not won a game all season long walks away with the co-ed trophy. Right? It was this huge do-you-believe-in-miracles 
kind of moment, we, none of us could believe it. There were people that, I mean, they don't go to church here. They're just, we recruited them on the team throughout the thing. And we're all taking selfies with this trophy like we just won the World Cup. It was absolutely amazing. And if you ask my wife, she will tell you, there is no way in the world I wanted to be there before the game. Because my attitude towards soccer at that point was one of what we know as cynicism. There's this expression in English soccer. And if you go over across the pond into the English Premier League and, and around England, there's this expression. How many, uh, how many Ted Lasso fans do we have out in the audience? Okay, so Ted Lasso, you did this whole episode on this expression. It's real life. It, it's a real life expression. It's the hope that kills you. And what they, what they mean by that, it's the hope that kills you, is that um, if you get your expectations too high, if you go into the stadium that day expecting a victory, if you walk into church expecting a good sermon, if you walk into anywhere expecting it to be good, you are most likely going to be disappointed. So what really tears you down, what really rips you apart, is not the disappointment that you suffer, it's that you got your expectations up in the first place. It's the hope that kills you. And if you ever go, if you want to see this in action, go on Netflix and watch a two-season documentary called Sunderland Till I Die. It is about a, uh, a football club, a soccer club up in northern England, Sunderland. It used to be this huge successful club that fell on hard times and, and got relegated down the league. So now they lose a lot. And they have these immensely loyal fans who go and they cheer and they skip their kids' birthday parties to go to games. The priest in town, there's a whole scene where the priest is using the entire mass to pray for the soccer club, and it's Easter Sunday. I mean, this is religiosity at its finest. So you have this immense devotion and this immense passion for the soccer team, and they go, and, and the team kind of teases them with winning and losing, and then in, inevitably, they lose the game, they, or they, they make it to the end of the season, they don't get promoted up to the top league, they, they lose that game, and I mean, these fans, it's like they can't even look at their children without crying afterward. And then when they interview them, these fans that they had documented as screaming, passionate, hope-filled fans all come back with something, well, we just expected them to lose. We knew it would happen. They always lose. This is just what happens when you're a Sunderland fan. Right? It's the same as saying, you know, with my luck. Because why would we ever let our hope get so high to let disappointment crush us? I want to revisit the um, Emmaus story here, this section of it uh, as we go along. Um, if you can move to the scripture slide, for some reason that's not working. So um, I want to revisit this Emmaus story because we have, we have looked at Cleopas and his friend journeying to Emmaus, and we've given all sorts of kind of postulations and estimated guesses as to why they don't recognize Jesus walking right next to them. Um, we've estimated that perhaps they're just so self-absorbed in their own arguments about the understandings of what happened that day. Maybe they're in so much grief that they can't see uh, good news around them. Maybe they are just missing the point and ignorant as to what the Jesus narrative or why Jesus was there in the first place. There's all sorts of reasons. But one of the things that I read when I read this portion of the story is I wonder how cynical they had become. 
It says, but we had, this is in Luke 24, it says, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped this. All right, for three years, Jesus had been moving in and around Judea and, uh, to uh, heal people and, and teach and present this radical uh, teaching of love and this radical ethic of, of moving God's kingdom into reality. So we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And that doesn't just mean from a personal redemption standpoint, it means he was the one who was going to restore Israel to its full glory under King David. So we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. High expectations, yes. And beside all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. I mean, I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that, you know, maybe they didn't understand the prophecy, but maybe they also knew that it was three days. Maybe they had heard the prophecy that the Pharisees were afraid of, but it's been three days and we still don't see anything happening and we've been disappointed before. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. You have to wonder if these guys still believed in miracles. And you have to wonder if the history of Israel had given these two gentlemen such a jaded view of what life is like. Remember, they, their hope that Jesus is the one to redeem Israel, but just 70 years before, or 90 years before this, there had been a revolt by the Maccabees when the, Jews, when the Greeks were in charge. The Seleucid Greeks were in charge of Israel. Alexander the Great had conquered, and they had taken uh, hold after Alexander the Great died. And while they were in charge, um, Judas Maccabeus and the Maccabees had led this revolt in Israel that everybody assumed that Judas Maccabee was the Messiah, that he was the one who was going to liberate Israel, and, and that didn't turn out very well. And he's not the only one who had tried to liberate Israel. Before Jesus and after Jesus, there are constant uh, rebellions and, and revolts that uh, spring forth hope that maybe Israel will return to its former glory under King David. Maybe it will be a Jewish nation state again, and they always end in disappointment. And in the history of Israel, they're constantly getting forced to go to Egypt, and then they're enslaved while they're in Egypt, and then they're saved from Egypt, but then they're uh, conquered by the Assyrians, and then they're conquered by the Babylonians, and then they're exiled. I mean, nowhere in the history of the Jewish people is there a huge sustained period of good news. I wonder if Cleopas woke up that day and said, you know, it's just our luck that Jesus would get crucified. Because all they assume is that something bad is going to happen that day. Paul has something to say about this. The scripture verse that Katrina read from Romans is this interesting um, passage. It's, it, Romans is an interesting flow. It's a letter written to the Romans, and it's more sophisticated than, in style than some of the other letters that Paul writes. But um, in doing that, uh, Paul uses this very... Uh, Grecian form of writing where he asks these rhetorical questions that are present in the community and then answers them in some really snarky response um, afterward. Every time he, you know, there's this exclamation point that says, by no means. It's not just Paul being exclaiming his excitement about the answer. It's really like a yeller morons kind of exclamation point. So um, Paul asks this rhetorical question. So if, should we consider, if God's grace is so great, if we were to highlight God's grace as people of faith in God's goodness, should we not just keep on sinning so that God's grace can keep happening over and over again? 
Follow me here. So the logic that is being taught by one of these teachers, and that's often the problem in the letters, is there's other teachers who are coming in and teaching them false narratives. All right, follow me here. So if somebody's coming in and saying, okay, so our joy and our victory is that we have victory in Christ's forgiveness over sin. So in order to teach other people about Jesus' forgiveness over sin, we should keep sinning so that we have more forgiveness. Some of y'all are like, finally, a good idea I can latch on to. <laughs> What's really being asked here is, are human beings so messed up that we'll never get it right and we should just give up? What's really being asked here is, when we wake up in the morning, is it just going to be a crummy day where I'm not going to do anything right, and yes, all I can rely upon is the goodness of God, and so I should just not even try? Paul says, by no means. By no means, because... Because when we are baptized, when we are initiated into Christ's holy covenant, into this family of God, we are initiated into Christ's death as well. And in, in Christ's death, we also have Christ come alive. What we're meant to see in this is that even when death comes, even when the worst possible imaginable scenario happens, there's still life. Even when the worst thing possible happens, the best thing comes out of it. That as Paul will later go on in Romans to say that, that God works for good for all those who love him. That in all things, God is constantly working. That even in death, life comes. So when we are baptized as Christians, when we take on the mantle of faith to say that I am a believer in Christ, I'm a follower of Christ. That I am baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus and what you are publicly proclaiming to the rest of the world is that I believe in good news. I believe that the best thing can come out of the worst thing. I believe that God is not finished with us yet. I believe that there's hope on the horizon. I believe in the words of the prophets that there's not just doom and gloom, but there's always help when we look up to the mountaintop. I believe that one day Jesus is going to come again and set all this right. And I believe that in the meantime, Jesus tells us to love each other in such perfect fashion that when Jesus shows up, most of the work's already done. What Paul is trying to expound upon to the Romans is that to be a Christian means that cynicism is not part of our DNA. That to wake up in the morning or to face a situation and say, you know what, with my luck, this is probably going to go bad, to give up is not in our DNA. It's not in what our rebirth means. That when something tragic happens, we admit that it's tragic and we grieve and we walk down the road to good news. And sometimes that road takes a little longer and sometimes that road has unexpected forks. And you know what? It's good to have a friend along the way, even if we don't recognize it's Jesus at the time, to help us to find good news. But our confidence is that good news will come. One of the things that Adam prayed about, I think it's important to recognize that um, Mother's Day is not joyful for everybody. I am fervent. Uh, one of my beliefs is that we've kind of gone a little overboard in, in making everything um, hard to handle. 
um, and that Mother's Day should be celebrated, like things like Mother's Day, Father's Day, we should celebrate those because I know people who are not mothers that want mothers to be recognized, right? But at the same time, there's a story I want to tell you about lowered expectations, but finding good news. And it's a story that I heard secondhand, but there's a woman who lives decently close. I heard this story about, um, not allowed to give her name or any details, but she wants her story to be told. And so this woman grew up the way that a lot of women grow up, right? Grew up, had excellent scores in high school, was going off to college, and, and even though she always planned on being a career person, the inkling is in the back of her maternal mind that one day I'm going to be a mother. Right? This is the, the narrative that a lot of women feel. Not every woman, but most women, a lot of women I know feel is that one of these days, no matter what, I'm going to be a mother. I have this instinct that I want to bring life into the world. I want to care for this life. And so this woman, you know, went through um, everything, was, was great grades, was high in her class, was going on through college, and figured that one day she would be a mother. And so she got into the career world. She did her, uh, did her thing, was very successful. She met her husband online. She uh, got married, and after about four years of living, this, you know, living the newly married life of traveling and working and doing all these other things that were really, uh, really exciting, she decided that, okay, it was time. And so they started trying to have a kid. And after about a year, realized that they were not very successful at having a kid. And they kept trying. And they kept trying, and they kept trying and trying and trying and trying to where she went into trying without a whole lot of excitement about trying. You know, they, for those of you who have been through the struggle of infertility, you have to schedule things. You have to plan things. And, and after, you know, seven years, kind of walk in with the, well, What's it even for anyway? So seven years of trying, IVF, all these other you know, hormone therapies and everything like that, the doctor just tells her, this is not going to happen. So they start discussing adoption plans, and, and she's just real grief-stricken, and she doesn't want to even talk about adoption plans. She just is going into this um, world where her expectations have been shattered and what she starts, she starts looking around and she starts seeing all these happy families at parks and, and other places and it's just like, well, figures that I wouldn't get to enjoy that. See, what happens is this expectation that she had for her life gets shattered, which then therefore throws question into the whole rest of her life. What does my life even mean if this expectation didn't happen? What does the past even mean if it doesn't happen in the way that I planned for it to happen? And so all of these infertility um, struggles that she's having throw a question on everything else in her life to where she reaches this level of cynicism where what does it even matter anymore? What's the point? With my luck, who knows what's going to happen? I'll probably lose my job. You know, all these other kind of doubts start flowing into her mind because the expected path of her life didn't happen the way that she wanted it to happen. But here's the good news, is that that woman will receive more cards today than any of you sitting in this room. So she's on a run. She's in her 40s by this point, mid-40s to this point. She's on a run through her neighborhood, and this is kind of like her endorphin kick throughout the week. And so she takes her run, and she's on the path in her neighborhood, and um, kind of through the faintness of her, um, of her earphones, she hears somebody crying, um, and, and she 
around the corner from where she's running, she looks around and there's this little girl who is um, falling off of her bike and her knee is bleeding and she's crying and there's no other adults around and this girl is not old enough to be out riding by herself. And so um, before she even asks the kid's name or where her parents are or uh, where she came from or what happened, she rushes down and she swoops up this little girl. She takes the bike off of her, of, of her hurt leg and she swoops her up and she starts singing this lullaby that her mom used to sing to her. And so she starts comforting this woman and she's got blood dripping on her shirt from the little girl's knee and, and she's comforting this girl and just singing to her and then all of a sudden she realizes, I wonder if this is weird for the little girl. And so she puts the little girl down and the little girl's more composed now. She's kind of gotten that closeness that makes us feel safe. And, and so she says, you know, she, the, the woman asks this little girl a series of questions and, and what she pieces together is that, you know, she was on her bike and seven, eight-year-olds don't exactly think about consequences when they're on a bike. And so she was going a lot faster than her parents could keep up with. And she made some turns and her parents had lost her. And she had lost her parents and she had had this accident. And there was no one else around to help her. And so she manages to get the little girl up and, and walks her back on a hobbled leg. And they find these two distraught parents, this mom and a dad, who are just in tears of relief at seeing their little girl. And, uh, and, and they, of course, they run and, and they swoop their little girl up and they're hugging her and and the little girl is crying again and the mother just comes and rushes and gives this you know woman a hug and oh my gosh thank you I can't thank you enough and and the dad um, goes and just grips this woman's head and says you know I'm so grateful that God continues to make miracles like you who do we often talk when we say that when we talk about little miracles we don't usually talk about 45, 46-year-old women. When we talk about miracles coming into the world, who are we talking about? We're talking about babies. This miracle that this woman had so desperately wanted in her life. All of a sudden, she looks in the mirror and wonders if it was her all along. So it's this really interesting transformation that takes place as she's struggling with what it means to be a miracle in the world. What it means to um, have different expectations in the path that we set out for. What it means to find good news in the midst of tragedy or life in the midst of death. And, and so she decides that, um, she decides she's going to be the mom for every kid in this neighborhood. So what she does is while she's on a run, she um, just takes like, you know, like sheets of stickers and stuff along with her in this little pouch and she would run and, and the houses where she would see kids playing, she would go to the mailbox and she would put a little sheet of stickers in there with like, you know, a little heart and it said, love mom on it. And so she would close the mailbox and she would run down the street and eventually she kind of got to start to talking to some of the kids. And so on their birthdays, she would go leave a birthday present for like five or six of the kids at their doorstep, ring the bell and leave and it would say, love mom. And um, and, and eventually everybody kind of found out she was doing this. And so they got to know her a little bit. She got to be friends with the parents. And so um, then she became a little bit more comfortable at like the playground. She would go and she would play at the playground with all of these kids and kind of have this running game of imagination with a few of them. Um, and, uh, and it progressed even more. She kind of figured that this would run its course after they weren't sweet, innocent kids, right? I mean, no offense to the teenagers in the room, but... You lose interest after a little bit. Until one day, one of these boys who, I mean, he had been probably 12 or so when he first met this woman, one of the boys knocks on her door, rings her doorbell, 
This woman answers the door, and she's really surprised because she's usually the one that initiates the contact, right? She's usually the one that goes and, and, and gets in the kid's world. Um, this, you know, this uh, now 17-year-old boy knocks on the door and kind of sheepishly stand there, and she's like, well, what can, what can I do for you? And he goes, well, um, I don't know if you know this, but um, I live with my dad. Uh, my mom lives somewhere else. And um, there's this girl I want to ask out to prom, and I don't know anything about women. I think her original response was, no man knows anything about women. <laughs> but he kind of sways back and forth, and he just says, is there, I, I really want to ask her to prom, can you help me with that? And so she says, yeah, and she kind of goes over to the house, helps him pick out kind of a nice shirt and everything, and this is when promposals are starting, so she helps him with a creative promposal, and, and sure enough, this guy gets his first date, and you know, they go off to prom together, and it's um, something to where they're driving, they, it's not a limo, but it's a Mercedes, they're driving by, and, um, and he stops and makes sure that he takes a picture with this woman and his date. And then she starts getting invited to graduations, and weddings, and along the way, every Mother's Day, all these kids would make her cards. They just said, thank you. And as she would put like a heart, you know, mom, I think she would put parentheses around the mom kind of thing, they started doing a heart kid. And so on Mother's Day, she would usually walk out of her door and there was, her door was taped floor to ceiling with cards from all of her kids. Do you believe in miracles? It's not the hope that kills us. As Ted Lasso would tell his team in this episode, it's the lack of hope that kills us. It's lowering our expectations of life to such a level that we find peace in disappointments. But that's not who we are. We are a people who have an audacious claim that Jesus rose from the dead and that good news comes out of tragedy. We are an audacious people that look down the road and see the warm springs of Emmaus and say something good is going to be on the horizon even in the face of death. We are the audacious people of hope. And it's hope that allows, it's hope that inspires us to live the audacious teachings of Jesus and make the world a better place. It's hope that inspires us to bring good news in this life. It's hope, it's, it's experiences of hope, of being called a miracle that allow us to do miraculous things. It's not the hope that kills us, it's the lack of hope that kills us. And I think we need to, we need to cancel expressions like, well, with my luck, and we need to get rid of it figures. We need to live in such a way that we can handle disappointment because something good will happen out of that disappointment. We need to live in such a way that when something tragic happens, we take that seriously and we work through the stages of grief, but know that God is not finished with us yet. It's not the hope that kills us. It's not the, you know, it's not meant for us to find peace in disappointment. Hope is what is meant to bring us peace. Hope is what defines our purpose in spreading God's love 
out into the world. Hope is what allows us to do the miraculous things of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Christus God, as we are almost to the warm springs of Emmaus in our worship journey, no matter how far away we may be personally, may we see you walking next to us in the mother who loved us well and the grandmother who spoils us rotten and our best friend who's always there for us and the woman in our neighborhood who constantly shows us affection when others keep their distance. Lord God, may we never give up hope. May we never be so jaded by the bad news of this world that we lose how many good people are in this world. May we never be so jaded by the disappointments uh, around us that we lose the fact that more good things happen every day that we take for granted. Lord God, may we not find peace in disappointments because your son showed us what the ultimate hope looks like. And the world needs our witness to that amazing love. And Senior Son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.